Well, here's a word we all have uh, stirs emotion in us. Stay at home order. Doesn't that just see? Some of you laugh. It just stirs all sorts of emotion. I, I sort of, again, it's a word we've learned. Uh, I sort of have mixed emotions with stay-at-home order or lockdown. It's this love-hate relationship with it. Uh, I've joked with some of you, five years from now, we'll all say, wouldn't it be nice to have a stay-at-home order for like just like six days, just start on Monday and Saturday? You know, because something nice about the stay-at-home order is it slows down the pace of life. And I think for those of you that it has slowed down, you, you enjoy that a little bit. You say, okay, what, what really matters and how we just slow down and just enjoy life more. So that's sort of the love part of me, of the stay-at-home order. I've liked that. But on the hate side or on the other side, I just have found, maybe through the second two lockdowns, I can probably name a week in each one where I was just deeply discouraged, where just it felt like it just sucked the life out of me. You know, and maybe I looked all good on the outside, or maybe I didn't, but on the inside, I was just like, oh, this is awful. This is awful. And just the weight and the discouragement of some of these lockdowns. Now, maybe as I say that, that I have been deeply discouraged at moments through this. Some of you may be encouraged to hear that. Some of you may be discouraged. Some of you may be surprised. Some of you may be disappointed or confused. Some of you I know are keeners, and you're like, I got to encourage Jeff more. We got to encourage you more. Now, let me say this. Uh, I get tons of encouragement. Please don't stop. I appreciate it. It sustains my soul. But I have this unique ability, even in an environment where I'm receiving lots of encouragement and things are going relatively well, here's my unique ability, I can still discourage myself. I'm quite good at it, actually. I have just this unique skill. Everything's going well, and I'm still low. And in a funk and lockdowns, just tended to uh, help me learn to, you know, to, uh, what, practice that skill and get better at it. Now, again, and so we ask ourselves the question, and the question I, find myself ask, I found myself asking is, how do we get out of this? God, what do you use? How do you sort of bring me out of this state? And I think I'm probably not alone in that. We ask ourselves the question when we're down, when we're low, when life's not going the way it should be, how do we get out of this? And then I come this morning, and fathers, this is general for everyone, but for dads, just happy Father's Day. And I know sometimes dads on the outside, it's all good, it's all going well, but on the inside, we can be discouraged, there can be weights, things can just sort of, you know, pull us under, and you may not ever show anyone or tell anyone, but we know. And so dads, I think this is a really relevant question this morning. How do we encourage ourselves? Fathers, when you're feeling down, what do you do to encourage yourself? And then sort of one last group of people, and I can't really do this when it's just me and the video camera, but since there's people in person, you know, every once in a while, I just sort of like to set things straight around here, and there is a group of people that really do need encouragement this morning, and that is the Toronto Maple Leaf fans, you know, and I found a Twitter account. It really does encourage me, really does encourage me, and I, it's only, they only put one tweet out a day, so I just wanted to show it to you, Toronto Maple Leafs fans here. You'll see it come up on the side screen. 19,771 days since the Leafs won a cup, or 17 days since blowing a 3-1 series lead. See, Leafs fans, are you encouraged? Are you encouraged? This encourages me. It just reminds me of truth, of what really is true in our world. And it doesn't end there. Here's what I like about this account. Two more things you'll see. Leafs fans, 6,268 days since you've won a playoff series. And my first personal favorite, 481 days since you lost to an AHL Zamboni driver. 
I love that. <laughs> uh, lastly, if you want some good news, Leafs fans, here it is. You're going to set a record. 16 days. It's the next slide. 16 days until setting the record for the longest Stanley Cup drought in NHL history. So congratulations, Leafs fans. 14 days since this was written, you're going to set a record. I don't get to do that all the time, but just every so once in a while when you're here, I just like to poke a little fun at our beloved Maple Leafs. Our series is called Only God. And we've been looking at the journeys of Paul. He journeys uh, through different cities. He starts in Antioch, the home church, and he heads out. He really goes on three different journeys. The first journey we looked at in all the cities, we just saw his strategy. How does Paul go to a place where no one knows about Jesus and tells them? Then as we went into the second journey, it's still the same strategy, but we just have been looking at it in, in different lights. We've been saying, what's unique about each city he goes to? Same strategy, but each city has a uniqueness. And we come today to Corinth. It's Acts chapter 18. And here's what's unique about the city of Corinth that he arrives in today. When Paul gets there, he's deeply discouraged. He's just beaten down. And so we get to come today, and sometimes, if you're familiar with the Bible and this man named Paul, who, did, who wrote so much of the New Testament and accomplished so much, sometimes we just think of him like a robot. You know, he was just everywhere, just preached the gospel, made disciples, started churches, wrote great theology, was always intense, he was always just like, like, like a robot, like he always just emotionally solid. But today, what makes Corinth so interesting, that is, as he enters the city, he's down. He's in a low place. In fact, when he reflected back on it in 1 Corinthians 2, here's what he said. And when I was with you, I was there in weakness and in fear and trembling. And again, there's some spiritual implications to what he's saying there, but there's just also some practical things. He's saying, when I entered, when I came to Corinth, I was weak and I was full of fear and trembling. And we'll see that play out in the passage today. Here's why he was feeling that way. If you remember back to the cities he's been to, he was in Philippi, and he was arrested, beaten, tortured, and jailed. Now that story ends well. He gets in, he gets out, but still he had that prison experience. In Thessalonica and Berea, he's run out of those cities really quickly, and so he's run out, that's discouraging enough, and he's worried about the health of those churches. Then last week he gets to Athens, and Athens is probably, and again, we don't have evidence, all the evidence on this, but it's probably his least successful city. We just don't see evidence that there's really a booming church there. Some people trust Christ, but not a whole lot, as it would seem. And so now he arrives in Corinth after being beaten, jailed, tortured, imprisoned, run out of two other cities, worried about the state of those churches, not having done well in Athens, arrives there, and he's alone. Remember, he sent Silas and Timothy up to check on the other churches because he was worried. And then he arrives in Corinth. And of any city, you probably wouldn't want to arrive in discouraged, where no one knows Jesus, trying to start a ministry, it would be the city of Corinth. It's the largest city in Greece. It was actually bigger than Athens. Athens is the intellectual center. But Corinth, because all the roads came together in Corinth, is the economic, political capital. Uh, it's where all the action is taking place. And you know when there's a transportation hub and, and it's an unsettled population and people are coming in and out. What that led to in Corinth, and we still see this today, maybe around where there's you know, different sort of port cities or where a lot of transport trucks come through, we see a lot of sin, a lot of debauchery, and that's what Corinth was known for. In fact, in Corinth, they had the, the city, the temple of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. 
And, and that temple had a thousand sex workers who carried out their trade every evening. That's what Corinth is known for. And there's Paul trying to start a, a, a church in this city where very few people, if any, know about God. You see how he would be overwhelmed. And, and then throughout the series, I've joked about what my favorite church is. And I say, first, my favorite is Antioch, the one where he started in. And then a couple of weeks ago, I said, oh, Thessalonica would probably be my second favorite. But there's Philippi, great church there. There's Ephesus we see next week, wonderful church. As people are thinking about their favorite churches, here's what people, no one is saying this. Corinth is my favorite church. You know, this church had a lot of issues in it. And if you just scan through 1 Corinthians and read just your chapter headings of what's going on in this church, this was a very talented church, but they had a lot of issues. It was a very challenging ministry for Paul. And so this is how he arrives. Having had a tough journey, having had all these things happen in a very difficult city, in a very difficult church, he arrives here, he's beaten down, he's weak, he's discouraged, he's in fear and trembling. And the lens we look at now in Acts 18 is how does God encourage him? What does he do? And this is relevant for all of us, but dads, fathers, it's relevant for us today too as well. So I hope you've got your Bibles. It's Acts 18. We'll just read a little bit and talk about it and see the three things that God uses there. Let me read. You'll see it on the screens as well. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Not a whole lot in those verses. If you were reading those yourselves, you might just skip over them, but there really is some great truth here in those verses. We're introduced to a couple in Scripture. This is the first time we meet them, but if you're familiar with the Bible, we know their names from other places. The man's name is Aquila. He, he's a Roman, that's his name, but he's also of Jewish origin, and he used to live in Italy, but now he's been forced to move to Corinth. And there, he, we know what he does for a living. He's a tradesman, he makes tents, same career that Paul had. And so, and he's a Christian, and there he is now in Corinth. He has a wife named Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, actually in Scripture, if you've heard these people's names, their names are actually reversed. We often hear them called Priscilla, woman first, then Aquila. And probably why was that? It's because probably more people knew Priscilla because she was more invested in the ministry of the church. I'm not, discount, I'm not discounting Aquila's leadership, but he was probably working full-time in his trade, and that gave Priscilla real time to invest in the church and the ministry. So we often hear them referred to as Priscilla and Aquila. And here we meet this couple, and they are a key member now, become a key member of Paul's missionary team. They're ones that worked hard, that had careers, or certainly Aquila, and he had a home big enough to invite Paul to stay in it. Timothy and Silas show up in the next verse. It's assumed that they move in there too, and the church in Corinth is meeting in their home. So he was doing fairly well, we would say. Most homes in Corinth would have been about the size of your bedroom. That would have been about the size of a home. Aquila is doing much better than that, and he's able to minister out of his home, and there is where this ministry happens and where Paul moves in. Well, here's how else we see them in Scripture. 
after Paul leaves Corinth, he goes with Aquila and Priscilla to Ephesus, and he leaves them there while he goes back to the mother church. While Priscilla and Aquila are there, they meet a young named, man named Apollos, and they bring him into, his, into their home in Ephesus. And they begin to instruct and teach Apollos because he didn't know his theology well. And they raise him up, and some of you know the name of Apollos from Scripture. He becomes a great preacher of the Word of God. In fact, they send him back to this city to minister to this church in Corinth. Also in Ephesus, we see Priscilla and Aquila. The church is meeting in their home. And at one point when Paul's life is in danger, they risk their lives to save Paul. So here's just what I want to note as an aside. Here we see a couple in Scripture who is absolutely key to all that Paul does. And if you followed this series, we've seen all these only God moments all along the way. But now we're meeting some of the people who saw that happen. And here's this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They never seem to preach a sermon. They work in a secular occupation, but they minister right alongside Paul. They share the same strategy. They're sharing Jesus. They're making disciples. They're hosting the church in their home. Exactly the same strategy, but totally different approaches. Totally different methods. Their approach is more interpersonal, more just one-on-one, -on -one, more inviting people in. And I just wanted to pause and just highlight this couple here as an example for us this morning. We can go through this series and talk all about Paul and all that he did, and we celebrate that, and some of you identify with Paul. But many others of you today, as you would think about God using you to share the gospel and to make disciples and how you use your home, you can identify with Priscilla and Aquila and the significant ministry they do. In fact, all that happens in Paul's life in ministry is based on his meeting and partnering with people like this. And you see what God does here? This is so good. Even as we've reflected on who Priscilla and Aquila are, do you see what God does? Paul's in this city. He's alone. He's discouraged. He's scared. And what does God do? He just gives them some friends, some really good friends. They're going to become lifelong friends. They're going to become ministry partners who he moves into the house with, who he stays with, and who they minister together. Just think of Paul. Right, foreign city, 200,000 people, secular, you know, lots of sin, lots of debauchery. Paul's alone, afraid. Oh, and then he meets them, and they say, come and live with us. We'll work together doing the same trade. Just think how that would have filled Paul's soul. And it continues on. We see this happening in verse 4. Verse 4 and 5, let me read it for you. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Gentiles, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So here in those verses, we again, we see Paul's strategy. What's he doing? He's persuading, he's testifying, he's talking about Jesus. This is what Paul does in every environment we're in. So we see the strategy, but what else also happens here? The team gets back together. Silas and Timothy come. They've been up in the north of Greece, they've brought encouraging news about the church in Thessalonica, and they've also brought a financial gift. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Philippi. That little church, that brand new church has gotten together, and they've given some money 
And they've sent it down with Silas and Timothy to bless Paul. And that's why he's able to go now into preaching the gospel full time because the money came from the Philippian church that he could now invest in that. So now just look at what God has done. Paul's discouraged. He's alone. And now he's got Priscilla and Aquila. He's living with them. And now Paul and Silas, or sorry, Timothy and Silas show up. Now it's a, from a one-man team to a five-man team. And just think, just think about that. Just as you pause and you think about that, how that would have been so significantly different for Paul. This is, this is hard for him. It's hard. He's admitted that. And we'll see later on the struggle is still not over. But now God has given him people. He's given him friends, companions, teammates to have together. And so here's what I want to say. How does God encourage us how does God encourage our souls? We already know this, but you see it in action right here. Here's what God does. First thing he does, it's Christian community. Christian community. God says, Paul, I see that you're alone. I see that you're in weakness and fear and trembling, so I'm just going to send you some really good friends. And as we've gone through the lockdown, I think one of the things that makes the lockdown hard is that it has taken away some of the Christian community that our souls need and that we long for. And here you see Paul meeting some new friends and reestablishing some old friends. And so as you think about this today and think about the encouragement level of your own soul, here's what I would say. Here's what I would ask of you. Do you have friends do you have Christian friends? Do you have regular environments where you are with people, where you're just sharing life with one another? Do you have those environments? Just something as simple as this is God uses so profoundly to encourage our souls. You all know this moment. You're at home or you're at work and you think you've got a group meeting or you're going to go and, you know, go into an environment where there's Christian community. And we all know this moment. You're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, and you're, you're running through every excuse in your mind. But then sort of just out of the power of your will, you're like, I'm going to go. I'm just going to force myself to get in the car and drive there. But then, but then, then you go. And it's just average, let's say. It's just mediocre. Just sort of an average, mediocre thing, whatever you're going to. But you drive home in the car and you're like, oh, that was so good for my soul. I'm so glad that I went. That's the power of Christian community. Just being together with those who share our faith and encourage us in our faith and walk with us. Harbor, we've been missing out on this a little bit. And so my encouragement today for us, for all of us, find places where there's Christian community. And about a month ago on the live stream, I gave one simple way we can do this. Just to build it, to begin to start it, is just simply practice hospitality. One another, it doesn't solve everything, but it gets us going. Practice hospitality. And here's the simple thing I said we could all do, was just simply invite someone over to your house outside and serve a bowl of ice cream. That's it. That's it. Again, that doesn't make for, that doesn't, you know, get us all the way to Christian community, but it starts the journey. It starts the journey. So Harbor, practice hospitality. Let us build Christian community. God uses that to encourage our souls. There's a second thing God does here. Second thing he does in Corinth. That's the first Christian community. Look down to verse 6. You'll see the second thing that God does for Paul or just the way Paul operates. I'll read these two verses. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, 
he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So as we read those verses, you're familiar with what's happening here. Same thing has happened in every city. Paul gets abused, he gets attacked, he gets discouraged, and here's what Paul does. And again, this is different than we think, and I've said this before, but I'll just mention it again. We think, Paul, you should go back home and watch some YouTube videos and get better arguments for these people who are disagreeing with you. Right? You gotta, it's your fault, Paul. You've got to work harder. You've got to preach better. You've got to get better arguments. And Paul says, no, no, they're not interested. They're not interested, so I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to actually, he was in the synagogue. He says, I'm just going to go next door to the synagogue. And there's a guy named Titus Justice there who seems to be very interested in hearing about Jesus. So Paul says, you're not interested over here? Okay, I'm going to go over here to Titus Justice. And then look what happens. Then the synagogue leader himself, the respected leader of the synagogue, decides also to be a follower of Jesus and comes over along with a whole other group of people in Corinth, and they are all baptized there. In fact, this man, Crispus, is one of the few people that Paul actually baptized himself. We know his name from the book of uh, Corinthians. Paul says, I baptized him, and probably because he was such a significant leader that he comes to Christ and Paul baptized him there. But generally, Paul's practice was not to baptize. He wanted people to be connected to Jesus and not to him. And so what do we learn from this? These two verses here, again, only God moments. God shows up. Respected people trust in Christ. You know, many new disciples. Here's what it could be, but it wouldn't really work. We could say, we'd all be encouraged if we share Jesus with someone who was prominent in our country and they trusted Christ. Now, that would encourage us all, wouldn't it? You know, you just think of someone prominent, if they all trusted Christ, we would all celebrate in that, but that's sort of a limited strategy. If that's our strategy to encourage ourselves, we're probably going to run short on encouragement. We could say, well, let's all share Jesus, and if people believe, if many people believe, then we'd be encouraged, and yes, that would encourage ourselves, that would very much encourage ourselves too, but the problem with that is you can't always guarantee the results, we know that. We're just faithful in sharing Jesus. We can't always guarantee what God is going to do. And even in this story, some people believed and some abused Paul. So what's the principle? What's the principle? Here's, here's how I've sort of processed this. What I appreciate about Paul is he's still just sharing Jesus. He's discouraged. He's beaten down. We'll see. He's afraid. But he just keeps moving forward. He just keeps looking outward. And so here's what I called it. Here's the second thing that I think encourages our soul. The first is Christian community, and the second is an outward orientation. When we get discouraged, the drift of our souls can be inward. You know, we sort of start to look at ourselves, and you get discouraged, and you get selfish, and those just sort of all just sort of roll together. But here Paul is able to look out. Even though he's beaten down and weak and doubting a little bit, he's saying, no, let me just keep on looking outward. Let me just keep being concerned about other people and their needs. 
And we could apply this sort of specifically to what Paul's doing. And let me do that for a little bit, and then let me just apply it a little more broadly. For Paul, specifically, the way he was looking outward was sharing Jesus. He just said, I've just got to keep being about telling people about Jesus, even though I'm scared and I'm trembling and I'm weak. And he just kept doing that. And again, I have found for my soul, Liam, thank you for talking about 24 hours in the harvest. We go out every Wednesday. And I find if I go out, it doesn't even matter what happens. It's just good for me to get out there and do something. It encourages my soul. Just encourages my soul to be thinking about other people other than myself. And you hear all these in the harvest stories, and it's only because we're out every week. And the incredible thing is God does something just about every week we're out. It's just unbelievable. Almost every day now we're hearing stories of God at work. But I heard a story last Sunday, one of my favorite stories I heard just as we were all coming back. It was from someone in our church, and she visits a same place every week. It's just part of her routine. And as she went to this place, she said, I just noticed that every time I was there, I just got to talk to this one employee because no one else was around. And so over the weeks, she built a relationship with this employee. They got to know each other. She was able to give this employee a book. And in the book, she had a prayer on how you could trust Christ. And then the next time she was back, you know, again, no one's there. And uh, this employee said, I've read the book and I've prayed that prayer. And the person in the atrium who told me that story from Harbor was just so full of joy. And the reason that's one of my favorite stories all week, all month, because it's just someone from our church, just in their own way, in the ordinary outplaying of their life, just encountering someone and sharing Jesus with them. So the specific application here of outward orientation is how do we encourage ourselves? Keep sharing Jesus. But there's a broader application which would say just be outward oriented. You know, when we get discouraged, love, serve, give, minister, just look out. We can so easily drift inward instead of saying where are their needs and where can I begin to meet them? And it's counterintuitive. But how God uses an outward orientation, when we start to minister to others in all the ways we can and the way we're gifted, how God uses that to encourage our spirits. Dads, today, I hope this is a wonderful day for you. I hope this is just the best encouraging day for you on Father's Day. You don't get this, we don't get this every day, but you get it today. I hope it's great. But even if it's not, or tomorrow, and you find yourself getting discouraged, Fathers, here's something we can do is just serve, just love, just have an outward orientation and how God would use that. So these are the things we're learning. First thing, how does God encourage us? Christian community. Here's the second way he uses us. He uses us or he encourages us is an outward orientation. And the third way, just look down to these last verses. You'll see them in verse 9. Here's the third way. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Just look at what's happening in these verses. We've seen this before. Paul is, now again, he could be sleeping when he sees the vision, or he could be up praying all night. Nonetheless, we sort of know he's in a spot where he's seeking God. I like to think of him praying in the middle of the night. And why is Paul praying? This is fascinating. Why is Paul praying? 
Well, Jesus shows up and says, Paul, do not be afraid. So here's my great understanding of Scripture. Why was Paul praying? He was afraid. He was afraid. What was he afraid of? Jesus has to say it directly to him. He was afraid he was going to get attacked and harmed. So there's Paul in the middle of the night. He's afraid. God, people are going to kill me. I'm going to get attacked, you know. And then look where he's gone with it. Look where he's gone because Jesus has to remind him of this. We, this is shocking to us. Here's what Jesus has to say to Paul, of all people. Paul, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Here's what Paul's thinking. I'm not sure if I should share the gospel anymore. I'm not so sure. I'm going to get attacked and harmed. Maybe I'll just be quiet. Maybe I'll just be silent. I'll stop speaking. And Jesus himself has to show up to Paul and say, Paul, don't stop. Keep speaking. Keep sharing. And what encourages me about this is if you're someone who's seeking to share Jesus and you have never gotten to this moment, then here's what I would say. Keep sharing Jesus and you will get here. We all, you know, again, the more you share Jesus, you want to experience this, come out in the harvest with us. You'll get here pretty quickly. You know, why? God, this is so pointless. It's so useless. I'm so discouraged. Why don't I just give up? And if you, this is how we get here. It's like this pit of despondency. And Paul is there himself. But Jesus shows up in this vision to encourage him. He really does two things. The first thing, he gives this wonderful word of truth. Paul, I've got many people in this city. Do you see that there? Right at the end of verse 10. I've got many people in this city. I'm sure Paul was saying, where are they, Jesus? Because right now, all the ones I see are the ones that want to attack and harm me. But Jesus is saying, Paul, I can see the future. I can look ahead, divine foreknowledge. I'm looking ahead, and Paul, there are many in this city who are going to trust in me and be transformed and be disciples and join the church. What a wonderful, encouraging word that would have been to Paul. Paul, don't give up. I've got many in this city. You can't see them now, but you just keep preaching the gospel, and I'm going to bring them to you, and I'm going to transform them, and I'm going to join them. I'm going to join them into this church in Corinth. I love those words. I love those words. You know, uh, you know, it's like God would say to us, if I'm applying it here, Jeff, I've got many people in Niagara. Isn't that just encouraging of itself? God, where are they? We can't see them. We'll just keep sharing Jesus. I've got many people in Ontario, and I'm trusting that would be the case. And so Paul gives them some truth. Jesus gives Paul some truth. But the second thing he said is even better. It's right at the beginning of verse 10. Here's what he says. For I am with you. This is the most reassuring, the most comforting, the most strengthening thing that Jesus could say to Paul. It's the safeguard amongst all the fears he's going through. It's simply this, I'm with you. Here's my presence coming, Paul, into your life, and I just want to remind you that I'm there. And so as we're thinking about the things that God uses to encourage us, the first is Christian community, friends, other people. The second is an outward orientation. Instead of drifting inward, we drift, you know, we move outward. And here's the third one. It's just the personal presence of God. God's personal presence in our lives. And that's what, that's what Jesus comes along and says to Paul in this moment. Notice how nothing changes. Nothing is different. No circumstances has changed at all, but Jesus just says, Paul, I'm going to be with you. And here's what we can remind ourselves of. 
when we run to Jesus in prayer, when we run to him in the word, that he provides the encouragement that our souls need. Now let me just speak to a couple different groups of people this morning. Maybe some of you have come here today and you see Paul going to Jesus in prayer and you're like, you know, I've done that. I've done that and that doesn't work. I've gone to Jesus, I've had some prayer requests, I've asked him to do this and to fix this and to make this happen, and that just did not work. Now, again, there's a lot of different answers to that, but let me just mention one possibility. Sometimes we come to God and we say, God, look, I'm in control, I got my life all figured out, and the only thing I need you to do, God, is just get into action here and fix all of these things on the outside for me. And God, if you would do that, then everything would be good, and I would be encouraged. But you see, in those moments, we're saying sort of, I'm the king, I'm in charge, and God, you're not. And so the first prayer we need to pray, the first prayer we come to God with is, God, I come and surrender my life to you. I give over control to you. God, I'm going to stop coming demanding that you change the externals. I'm just going to come and give you control of my life. I'm just making you the king of my life. And I'm not going to try to work from the outside in, but I'm just going to start on the inside, God, and come to you and ask you to be in relationship with me. See, the good news of the Bible is, even though we have turned away from God, he offers us through Christ, through the cross, a way we can be in relationship with him and have his presence with us every day. And so when we just pause and say, God, even though I've rebelled, you died for me and I can be in relationship with you, God, forgive me and invite him in, that changes something. Again, it doesn't change anything on the outside, but it changes us on the inside where we know God is with us. And today, if you're saying, I've prayed all these prayers and asked all these things, and none have worked, could I just invite you to try praying the prayer, God, I just surrender to you. I give control to you. And God, may you just, through relationship, may I know that you are with me. And that's what made all the difference for Paul, and I believe this is what God does for each of us that would follow him. He promises his presence with us. Now, for many others of you today, you've made that decision like Paul. This is not a new decision for him. He's not hearing everything, anything new that Jesus is with him. In fact, this is the Great Commission. We read these verses around here a lot. Go and, go and make disciples of all nations. And then how does it end? And surely I am with you always. Paul didn't say, oh, Jesus, I already know that. You know, you already said it. In fact, this is just reviewing material for Paul. This is fascinating. Paul had forgotten that Jesus was with him. And so Jesus just showed up personally in a dream, in a vision, and just said, Paul, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I think this is such a significant moment for Paul because what we read is he stays 18 months afterwards. For some of you here this morning, you know this is true. You know Jesus is with you. I'm not telling you anything new. You just need the emotional reminder of it. You just need to be recalibrated again, just like Paul was, just to hear that God is with you you and his presence makes a difference in your life and I know for some of us in a church this size and for those watching online there's all sorts of different things we're going through 
And again, just the thing that encourages our soul that I want to offer today to every single one, I just want to remind us of, of the presence of God. No matter what's happened on the outside, God can just meet us on the inside. And may you draw near to him today as a follower of his. So you find yourself discouraged, find yourself in a rut, find yourself in a funk, find yourself not wanting a stay-at-home order to last one, one day more. Here are the three things God uses. Christian community, an outward orientation, and then thirdly, God uses to encourage us his personal presence, him just saying, I am with you. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for Father's Day. God, thanks that we can mark and celebrate this day. But God, we even just pause and remind us of how good of a father you are to each one of us. God, we like the prodigals have wandered away have missed your grace and your mercy. But God, you welcome us home and you love us. And so God, even today, Lord, may you just continue to fill us with a vision, uh, fill us with a knowledge of who you are and what it means to be in relationship with you. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We always end our service with four words, but as you head out this week, well, first let me say this, as you head out in the next five minutes, there's some Father's Day things for you in the atrium. And we all encourage you for those. But as you head out this week, you're going to encounter a lot of people who are discouraged. That's just happening right now. And that happens all the time. But as you do that, may you just be reminded of the good news we have. Harbor, we are sent.